what's going on justin and what's up gina how are y'all today so good good thank, you. good thank you so justin and i just to give a little bit behind the scenes we were talking about how do we do the intro for this because gina we haven't had many guests on and oh. justin was like I, I was all like, hey, man, like when you hit the it, when you see the it's recording, you know, then just go ahead and take it from there. And Justin was like, I think you do intros better so you can do it. So I was like, all right. So yeah, Sean's, all right. Sean's really great at intros. So like, let's let Sean take it away. The pressure's on. I'm honored yeah, to be one of the few guests you've had so far. Mm, thank you. Hey, we are honored to have you on. Gina Scafolio. I'm saying that correctly. Yes. yes. Gina is a mindset and fitness coach. She is also an IFBB pro. Shout out to you for that because that is very challenging to do. People work many, many years for that. And we're just so excited to have you on when Justin and I were trading some messages on what we were going to be able to talk to you about today. It's basically everything that our listeners have come to know and love from the Nirvana Mountain Body podcast, everything from fitness to mindset to spirituality and everything in between. And so we're so grateful to have you on the show, Gina, especially getting up bright and early. We were just saying you're in Vegas. It's 8 a.m. there. So (laughs) thank you for hopping on. And I thought it would be cool because Justin, of course, before hitting record, everybody was trading pleasantries and just being hype about each other. And so I'd love to know how y'all first met and then we'll take things from there. Yeah. 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 Uh, So we have a a mutual friend. We have a mutual friend, Emily Hayden. Um, She's... We've grown very close over the last year. We actually knew each other. We both lived in Houston, Texas, and we both moved to San Diego, not with each other, actually separately. Um, And we became very close over the last year. We actually lived together for a little bit. And there was a part of me at one point earlier this year that just wanted to dive a little bit more deep into spirituality and the healing journey and Emily was like, I know this guy. He's great. His name's Justin. You got to meet him. And Justin and I hopped on a FaceTime call and then went from there. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Emily's an amazing person, by the way. It'd be great to have her on as well. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. One of my favorite people. And like, I'm glad that um, she connected uh, me and you. And we were able to really cultivate not only a wonderful experience when you came out, but also now a, a really good friendship. Yeah, no, very blessed to have her and have her as a connection for us too. Hmm. I'm going to just make an assumption that you guys did some breath work together. Yes. A little bit more than breath work. A little bit more than breath work. Yeah. We got into some breath work, we got into some plant medicine as well. Um, I think we spent, how many days did we end up actually spending together? Was it two or three? Three. It was three Three days days in a row. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Three days in a row of wonderful work. Yeah. It was a really beautiful time. Excited to actually, um, get to that point where we can kind of discuss a little bit more what that was about and also obviously what shifts it could have um, created within your within your life the way that you go about things um, I would love to kind of get into though like what inspired you we'll, we'll kind of rewind it back a little bit what inspired you to kind of get into um, being a competitive athlete what was like what was that for you mm-hmm. how did you actually get into this field of, of training uh, being an athlete being a competitor Well, I will say maybe not with every part of the process, but with the physical training aspect of the process, I've been an athlete my whole life. So my mother put me in an elite gymnastics program at five years old, and I did that for several years. And then when I got a little bit older, I was into track and field. That was my passion. I was a pole vaulter. 
And then when school sports ended in high school, my senior year, we still had like half the year left. And I was like, what do I do now? And I knew I still wanted to be active. And so I found myself in the weight room. And from there, I went into, went to Texas Tech University and I had one friend when I went to Rackham, but not, I don't, <laughs> not fond memories, but I'm sorry. I did the guns up. I just, I just love every Texas school. Every Texas school has a hand sign and I went to university we of Georgia do. and we don't have a hand sign. So I'm very envious oh, and I yes. pride myself on knowing all of them. So apologies <laughs> for bringing up anything. No, it's great. It's great. So I went to Texas Tech University. I only had one friend and she was in a sorority and I was not. So when we first started going to school, she was gone almost every day. They had rush, they had pledging, and I didn't know what I, I didn't know what to do with myself. So I would just go to the rec center and I would spend three hours a day at the rec. And I just found myself spending all of my free time in the gym, not even pursuing what I thought was my passion at the time, film or videography. And once I got my do you guys cuss on this podcast? Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also my... just as a disclaimer, anything goes when it starts off with, yeah, I, I first met you for a plant medicine ceremony. Yeah. So please All right, yeah, yeah. take there the breaks go. off. Yeah. Okay. So when I got my shit together with nutrition, then everything kind of started falling into place. And I was like, oh, I can actually do something with this. I can actually pursue a career and whether it was coaching or the competitive sphere, I just had a realization when I got everything kind of synced up with the training and the nutrition and the mindset part. Hmm. How long have you been in the uh, the coaching aspect now? How many years are you into this now, this entrepreneurship? Since 2017. So about six years. Wonderful. How old are you? I am 29. I just turned 29 a couple of days ago. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank That's you. awesome. Yeah. What's been like the kind of the biggest challenge in uh, leaning into working for yourself? What have you learned in that process? And um, yeah, I would love to know like kind of your process. I, I, um, I'm in the same kind of field, kind of almost like a similar um, path, so to speak. You know, I found myself in the bodybuilding realm and competing, and it led into coaching and whatnot. And um, my my experience was very much. Um, an organic approach, a lot of lack of awareness, I would even say like accidental. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious to like, what was your approach with this and how did you find yourself actually into this field and uh, what were the challenges and what were like the, uh, I guess maybe easier aspects of it as well. So when it came to beginning the process, it came more naturally. I think I've always felt myself as more of a leader and there is always there were so many, so many deep rooted insecurities growing up, but there was also a part of me that just had the self-assurance of, I can do this. I'm going to be successful. It didn't matter what it was going to be. And I really thank my mom for that because she instilled that confidence in me. But as soon as I realized I knew what I was doing, I was like, I could probably help other people too. And so it just started off with free advice, free meal plans free workout plans, taking friends to the gym with me and kind of just beta testing to see if I actually knew what I was talking about. And, you know, each person that I offered free advice to or helped out, they ended up seeing results or somehow got some value from it. So it developed over time. 
I would say some of the difficult aspects, especially with running your own business, is it requires so much self-discipline and integrity. And it it's something as simple as waking up in the morning, waking up at the time that you say you're going to wake up and starting work when you say you're going to work because there's no one holding you accountable. So you have to be self-accountable and you have to have integrity for yourself and the goals that you set. And I would say this is a little bit more unrelated, but something that I've learned more so over the last couple of years, maybe even just the last year is for being a woman, I think it's been very challenging to operate out of my masculine energy and have that self-discipline to be in my masculine energy when it comes to certain aspects of the business. Mm. I have a follow-up question to what your mom gave you when you were younger. Shout out to your mom Mm. for sounding like an amazing parent. (laughs) Oh yeah. So many of us miss that part that we can be successful in any endeavor. And that's something that Justin and I talk about a lot. I think those who dive into more spirituality realize I have this divine gift. If I put my mind to it, I'm going to be able to achieve these things. I'm curious, Mm -hmm. Gina, what did your mom give you at such an earlier age? Because I think that would be amazing for listeners who may have not had that to pick it up specifically, if you remember. It was, if I could pick the first thing, it would be just independence. She really pushed me to be independent from a very young age. So what comes to mind are the stories when I was probably four, five, six years old, and she would order takeout from, let's say, Olive Garden. And she would drive up and she would park her car outside and she would give me her credit card. And she would say, Gina, go inside, tell the first lady that you see that you're here to pick up an order for Annabelle and that you have her card and that your mommy's in the car. And then she's going to give you the credit card swiper and you're going to swipe the credit card. And then you're going to tip $10 and you're going to sign my name. Mm. And I started doing that from a very, very young age. And she would do things like that in all kinds of different experiences. And so I think it was something that simple that created that deep seated independency and confidence that I can do this, whatever it is. That is so cool. I'm a new dad. That is cool. And so I'm definitely, I will shoot you I a know. DM. I'll be like, Porter just ran yeah. up and paid for our meal. <laughs> <laughs> Please that's, do. Make, that's brilliant. Make, a, make them order, order for the waiter too. Like mm. order their own meals or even order for the table. You know, just mm. pushing, pushing your kids to step outside of their comfort zone from a young age, I think can be really helpful. That's cool. What a cool, um, it, whether she was doing it like with full awareness or even just mm-hmm. like, just, yeah, just being her own self. What a, what a wonderful way to, again, like create confidence within you, um, which a lot of people struggle with. A lot of people struggle with just even going inside and ordering or finding a parking spot. You know, the, yeah. every, most people are very timid with, with many aspects of life. So like, what a wonderful way to approach things um, with a child. Yeah. I'm very grateful for that. I think also combining it with your discipline piece, Gina, where you were saying that as a business owner, you have to get up in the morning when you say you're going to get up to get everything done. And like Justin was saying a minute ago, so many of us may find certain things challenging to do, but if we break it down to that simplest piece of, Hey, just get up in the morning when you say you're going to get up and then, okay, what's the next step you're going to take. And I love how, when I asked you that question of what your mom gave you, I was maybe expecting something profound, something mind blowing. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Hey, just go order for me, like take care of this one thing for me. 
And it wasn't this enormous act. It was something so simple and saying like, Hey, Gina, can you go in and do this thing real quick that all three of us are like, Oh yeah, we do that all the time. It's not a big deal. But for you at four five, six, it's like, Oh, this is so cool. Like I have this independence, I'm going to do this. And then being able to build on top of that, I think that's really important. Yeah. I think it's the things that you don't necessarily think are so impactful that become impactful over time, or it's the little things I've built up. That's actually a concept. You reminded me a concept that I work with my clients on is we set a non-negotiable habit. And that non-negotiable habit, the whole purpose is to build integrity and that trust within yourself so that you can build on top of that, whether it's habit stacking or making that non-negotiable a little bit more challenging over time. And it could be something as simple as, for me, my non-negotiable habit is my phone doesn't come to bed with me. It goes on the charger before I go to bed because that ensures that I'm not going to stay up on my phone all night, scrolling on Instagram, scrolling on TikTok. So I'm less likely to stay up. I'm less likely to oversleep. I'm less likely to snooze my alarm in the morning because I actually have to get my ass out of bed, walk across to the bathroom to turn off my alarm. And so I think it's those little nuances that can help build something really big over time. Yeah, those non-negotiables are incredibly important. I, I actually share that same view. I would love to actually know um, outside of the non-negotiable cell phone at night, what is uh, maybe some of your non-negotiables when you wake up? Like you want to share your morning routine that allows you to be successful and disciplined? Yeah, so it's definitely evolved a lot over time because I'm in a place now where I allow myself a little bit more flexibility with my morning routine. Whereas when I was first building it, I think it can be really helpful to have a little bit more rigid discipline or require certain things from yourself. So when I was first building my morning routine, it started out with just reading. So it would just be reading five minutes or five pages. And I remember I had originally set the goal to read a chapter and then I would fall into that all or nothing mindset where I'd mm -hmm. be like, oh, well, I don't have time or I need to get to work and I wouldn't do it. So I scaled it back to just that five minutes. And this was several years ago now. And with time, that five pages turned into 10 pages. And then I added journaling on top of that. And then I added meditation on top of that. Now I wake up and it really just depends on how I'm feeling. And if I feel like I can use some alignment and I want to practice one of those practices, then I'll do so. If not, I'll walk my dog. I'll drink my water, take my vitamins, make some coffee and get to work. Mm. Is is the main priority with these non-negotiables to be in this, this state of presence, you would say, like really having these moments of uh, essentially peace in the morning, that way it would allow you to kind of like go through your day in a, in a much better mindset. Is that like, what is your, your why, I guess, for creating these habits? Yeah, there's two different things. One is I think how you go about your morning is going to set your tone for the day. So if you can master your morning, you can master your day, or you can at least have a much better job at it. And so that's the first thing that you do. There's also the element of dopamine. And I think whatever you get your dopamine from in the morning, you're more likely to crave afterwards. So if you're mm -hmm. getting your dopamine from social media, I find myself more likely to be scrolling on social media. But if I'm getting my dopamine from those small acts of discipline of making my bed or drinking water before coffee or taking my vitamins, that's still going to give me that sense of satisfaction. And it's going to inspire me, maybe even at a subconscious level, to keep 
accomplishing those small goals throughout the day. That's huge. I'm so glad yeah. you said what you just said. That is enormous, um, wonderful advice for anybody that's listening is um, especially when we when we start off the day with like a coffee or the cell phone and we really do crave those things. It's one of the things I've been speaking to one of my clients as well. And he's trying to have change in his life. And I asked him about his morning routine and you know, his first thing that he does is that he gets up and he literally like it's the fridge, coffee, not even any water and then on his phone immediately. And, and even with myself, if I do that act of getting up and looking at my phone right away, it is, it's wild how much more restless I am throughout the day and how I am more drawn to that, that phone dopamine hit throughout the day as well. So that I think is, is really good advice and what you just said, um, in setting these more, I would say, um, uh, not that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for with sad, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, not instant gratification, delayed gratification, the, mm. the smaller disciplines with the, that carries a delayed gratification, like the reading, the walking, the meditation, what have you. And uh, those have been really profound for me as well. I think it's sometimes good to do the wrong things just so you can feel it for like a day. Mm. So mm. I was a competitive swimmer growing up and I had a great coach once who he was like, this lap, do everything wrong. Like do everything against what you're taught. So you can feel how your hands hitting the water. You can feel that you're not rotating. You can feel that your head's up mm. and remember that. And so it's like, cool. okay, cool. Now when I'm swimming with proper technique, if something's off, I, I know what that feels like. And for some of my clients, I'm like, yeah, do it. Like wake up immediately, grab your phone, dive into work emails, like pull up your work email first and then go straight to your fridge, grab coffee, just pound that shit. And then just feel like, take a moment, take that pause and just feel like how jacked up mm. you are. And then be like, do you want to do that every day? And the answer is always no. So it's like, okay, cool. Now, because I think what some people miss is what's this routine going to give me? And like, I'm busy. I got this work, right? Mm -hmm. And they hear it from us, but they don't know what it feels like. And so it's like, okay, do it. Mm -hmm. And then now take a morning where it's a little bit more intentional. You're getting up how you want to get up and then notice, take that same pause, you know, 30 minutes in, like, how do you feel now versus how you feel going the other way? And that can be maybe more motivating. I am curious, Gina, because I'm a huge reader. Uh, Justin and I trade books all the time. Mm. What do you read in the morning? I'm curious. I have, I would say mostly personal development books or something that's somehow going to teach me something about myself. Every once in a while I'll read at night, I'll read like Harry Potter on repeat, but I, I enjoy my all-time favorite book is The Power of Now. That's actually the whole front of my sleeve tattoo is inspired from the power of now. That was probably the book that changed my life the most. Um, some of my other favorites would be like the mountain is you, how to do the work, atomic habits, intimate communion. So there's, I think books on all kinds of different categories, but they're all similar in the sense that they're personal development or spiritual in some nature. Do you, do you have just one book that you stick to or do you kind of bounce around a little bit? Oh, no, just I read book after book. I think I'm like eight books in to this month already. Nice. Dude, this month. Yeah. We're 11 yeah. days in, people. She's read yeah. eight books. Everybody step it up. <laughs> yeah. Are you physically reading a lot though. Are you physically reading or do you listen as well? You know, I've only I've only had one audiobook that I truly connected with and that was Intimate Communion. And that's that book is on masculine feminine energy and relationship dynamics polarity if you haven't heard of it but 
that book I read twice. I read the physical hard copy mm. and then a year had gone by and I recommended it to a client and it completely changed her life and her her way of dating. And I was like, I think I need to read it again. And she was like, well, I've been listening to the audiobook. And I shared with her that I have a hard time finding audiobooks that I like because I think I'm just judgmental with the voice and the speed mm -hmm. that they're reading and the tone and the accent. And I find myself just listening to that and focusing on that versus the content. Mm -hmm. But I gave it a shot. And it was funny because when I read the hardcover or the hard copy, I was reading like a British lady's voice. <laughs> and when, when I heard the actual audiobook, it was uh, a man with like a Southern draw. <laughs> That's so like, funny. This is different, but it actually hit so much differently than me physically reading it. Mm. And I found that the audiobook was more impactful for me. Maybe it was because it was the third time I was hearing it too, but yeah. that's the only audiobook I've ever actually listened to. I think this is kind of a cool segue into um, this book. And we've mentioned a few times the masculine and feminine. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I can imagine like even creating balance within yourself, the, like knowing when you're in your masculine, because a, a lot of times right now, since we are in like this, um, this entrepreneurial world, it's a very masculine environment. It's very scheduled. Um, so you're kind of in that space for quite a bit of your day, I imagine. And then also with training in the gym, it's also very much mm -hmm. in the masculine. Um, how's that been finding balance for yourself? Uh, how do you, how do you drop back into the feminine, uh, when that's time? Um, and then also like how, how is, um, how has dating been, um, and understanding the polarity, the importance of polarity, um, within relationships? I would be lying if I didn't say it is still a big challenge for me. It's something that I'm newly aware of and I find myself more conscious of it and more self-aware in different situations, but it's something that I definitely find is challenging because there's a lot of days that I find myself resisting the discipline or resisting structure, resisting being on that one, two, three, four step that I know that I need to be in order to achieve a specific goal. And if I could just go certain days, I think if I could just have the day and go about the day, how I'd want to go, I would read journal, meditate. I would go for a walk or a run. I would go to the farmer's market or go shopping and then I would dance and then I love playing guitar and singing and I would probably do that for a couple hours and then I would go to the gym and then maybe I would do some calls with my clients and then that would be my day. Mm. And in reality, there's so much more structure that I need to have throughout my day and so many things that require the discipline and the masculine energy that I find myself resisting. And so I would say it's it's almost a daily challenge to stay within that masculine energy. And I have to give myself permission to relax and be in the feminine that I think is my true nature. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, finding that balance between the two, I always, I use it, uh, a term called the being versus becoming because the beingness I feel is like the feminine, so to speak. Mm. Mm -hmm. that, that place and um that's something that i've also really played with this year was creating that space in the morning like in that like meditating reading in that beingness and then 
you know, falling more into the becomingness and then also then like midday finding some more beingness and then maybe another hour or two of becomingness and then mm-hmm. more beingness in the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, what's funny is, is that I, I know that a lot of women, especially women that I work with, um, they have a tougher time actually getting out of their masculine. They've been in it for mm-hmm. so long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they're working eight hour days, especially women that are like in corporate America. Yeah. And they're in that corporate space and then they're going to the gym. They're like spending 10 hours in their masculine mm-hmm. uh, and then not having the awareness of like, how can I actually drop back into the feminine when I get home? Um, do you have, I mean, you did mention some wonderful things like singing and stuff. Uh, do you run into any of this with your clients, especially girls that are like heavy in the training, heavy in the fitness? Are you able to help them become more aware of ways of dropping back into their feminine that works for you, that possibly works for them that you would like to share? Yeah. And if I could back up just one sentence or two, you mentioned going back and forth. And I find that that's more challenging for me, probably the most challenging thing. I find that once I'm in my masculine, I feel like I can get some momentum and I can stay in that masculine. But once I allow myself to go into the feminine, I have a very difficult time getting back into the masculine. And one thing that I found about myself, for example, is actually for the gym, I think by nature, it's more of a masculine experience, but because it's more of a meditation for me, I find that I'm in my feminine when I'm weight training. Nice. There, there's that element of discipline, of course, but I think for me that the push and the struggle is just so second nature now that it's not something where I'm like, and it's not at the forefront of my mind of like, oh, just push yourself harder, push yourself. I just do that by nature. And so at the end of my day, when I go to the gym, when I come back, that is like the most difficult time for me to go back to work. Or even if I go to the gym midday, it's like, I feel like I break that momentum and then I have a hard time returning back. So that's something that I'm trying to navigate still. And like I said, this is a little bit more of a new concept for me a new, just a new container, I guess, um, that I'm learning about. And so this is not actually something that I work with my clients on very much. Mm. I have a couple clients that I will more so direct them to resources. So if I, if I notice something about them or maybe they're struggling in their relationship or something that I've observed about their behavior, what they're telling me, then I'll, I'll send them the intimate communion book, or there's another one I just read called irresistibly feminine, or even if it's something that's not related to this topic, I'll guide them to the resources, but it's not necessarily me that's doing the teachings. Mm. Very cool. Has, um, being a successful woman in your business and has this made it hard to find, um, a partner or how is the dating scene being a, a, um, a, a very, very successful woman, technically not necessarily needing a man financially or needing a man in certain ways. Uh, does that make it harder to date? Uh, what is your experience with dating men? How's that been? Um, yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, I would say that's probably one of the more challenging things that I've found. And I've, I've been on both sides where I've been with 
a partner who's more successful than me in terms of financial success or the size of their business or um, maybe even just how long they've been in the game for whatever they're doing. But I've also been on the other side where seemingly I was more successful in certain aspects. And at first it was something where we would have a conversation. Maybe there was some hesitancy on my end or maybe even their end. And we would come to the conclusion that it wasn't going to be something that we would let affect us. And we would view it in the specific way, or we would, you know, do certain things to make sure that it wouldn't be an issue. And it always was Mm. It all in my experience so far, it always, it always was. Um, So that's something that I've been more conscious about is not necessarily the amount of money or like I said, size of business or time. Those are just certain factors that I notice are are correlative, but I think it's that self-confidence of how sure they are of themselves. And I think that's going to be, their business is going to be a manifestation of that. Mm. I don't know how people do it dating. My wife and I always say how grateful we are to be married and we're like with apps and everything else going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But this is something that Justin and I talk about a lot, either on the show or just in person. Um, my wife is very much in her masculine and we met mm. before starting a business and now mm. we work on the business together. And it's yeah. been really cool for me to see my wife's growth to become this person who can step more in her masculine. Yes, there are now challenges, kind of what you're talking about too, Gina, where she has a hard time falling back into the feminine and just like go, go, going. Right. Mm-hmm. But we've had a lot of these conversations and like Justin and I've been on podcasts where people ask me, they're like, how do you do this? Cause I've tried to, and, and worked on backing away and letting her lead. And mm-hmm. I get a question a lot of how can you do this as a man and sort of mm-hmm. let your wife take center stage. And I agree with mm-hmm. you, Gina, that to me, the self-confidence is realizing where maybe some of those insecurities come from. Because mm-hmm. I think it's funny when Justin asks you the question, how is dating, right? You immediately went to success being financial success. We didn't talk about happiness. We didn't right. talk about their right. fitness level. We didn't talk about it, right? And it's not your fault, our fault. It's our society. We can, mm-hmm. people in Europe joke about Americans having a fetish for work, right? It's all just like achieve, achieve, mm-hmm. achieve, go, go, go. And for me, it's been realizing that that maybe programming or conditioning is partly societal. Also, I grew mm. up in a one earner household that was a man. And so that's going to be like the more traditional sense of a relationship. Yeah. And my mom is stay home mom, like in the, in the home doing her own thing. Right. But when I notice maybe this envy or jealousy, or am I holding up my end of the bargain, I will catch myself and ask, okay, where's that coming from? Because mm everything's working great. And maybe Mm. you've met guys where everything's going great, but then maybe he, or, or maybe you are just not as in tune as you'd like to be. And now all of a sudden that programming, that conditioning is getting into the way. And just wanted to share, because it's something that my wife and I work on quite a bit. I get those questions a lot. And I think as we enter into more of the 21st century, that whole like one in her household picket fence, 2.5 kids, like that's a mirage. Right. Right. Well, I I agree with you in many ways, but I also think there's an important component not to ignore that's from that evolutionary standpoint. So we have two million old two million year old brains, but we've you know we've adapted very quickly or evolved very quickly over the last even just fifty years, and there are certain biological components that are not 
evolving as fast as our society is. And so by nature, there's the masculine has that inherent need to provide for their family, the protect, the provide. And in our society, the fundamental way to provide is with money. That's just how our society works. And so I think there's that innate component that is not necessarily programmed. I think it's just part of our nature. And so if the man feels like he can't provide for the family in some way or another, I think there's going to be some kind of insecurity. So like I said, the most obvious way or one of the more fundamental ways that you can do that now in our society is with finances, but there's, there's so many other ways that you can provide as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I naturally lean towards creating a safe container. I would definitely Mm. say I was never, um, driven by, by money. So I was, i never fell into like, um, I always really appreciated when, like I did, I was married to Steph and she always did really well financially. I always, mm. I even, I even find myself attracted to women who financially do well. That's mm. something that I actually find very attractive. Women who, um, have their own passion, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually very much attracted to that, um, strong willed woman. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and it motivates me actually to not compare, but to, to just be better overall. So yeah, uh, yeah it's, yeah, that's how I see it as well. I was going to ask why, because I feel like so many men are intimidated by that. Why do you think you find that more attractive? Um, I, I think it's just, you know, I'm, I'm able to really, um, not allow any of the ego come into play. You know, I can operate from a more conscious space. Uh, and I think that's mostly it. I think there's a lot of lack of awareness why men feel the way they feel. And they don't have the awareness to kind of zoom out, so to speak, and see why they may have these insecurities. They just lack awareness. And they're right. more so going off their feels as opposed to like, you know, loving awareness, mm-hmm. you know? So that's, I think that's the big shift is that I, I, I have a decent amount of awareness of where I am operating from. And so for me, I, and Sean actually talks about this. He wants to see his wife do amazing and support her. Mm-hmm. You, you know, how can he be that, um, that helping hand and support her in all these powerful ways. And that's how I was in my relationship with Steph. It's like, I just wanted to make her as big as humanly possible, support her as humanly possible. Um, and, and give her all the confidence to, to take that and run with it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's funny, like I'm, I'm single at the time right now and it's, you know, I can feel my person sometimes be drawn to certain people and, when I go through like, uh, would I really be interested in dating this person? One of those factors is like a, a strong, successful woman um, within her career, also within the gym. Uh, I find those things very attractive, but maybe that's because I'm also um, very rooted in my own truth as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know who I am. So I think, um, yeah, I think finding those things intimidating isn't on my radar so to speak. Nice. So, but I think most people, most men do fall in that category though. I think Justin's yeah. just special too. I mean, Jeannie, we're talking <laughs> about nature and the yeah. nature of humans. I think Justin's nature, just because we've known each other for so long is to follow his own inner compass. And that's going to be different than what the world expects. Like when yeah, Justin and I true. first started hanging out, I was this, you know, skinny ex-athlete, just like trying to stay healthy. And Justin mm. and I would hang out a lot. And I one time asked him like, 
dude, you're like lifting with all these pros and like you have this insane network. Like, why are we hanging out? And he was like, because I kind of want to talk about something else from time to time and like spirituality yeah. <laughs> and like mindset and just life. And Awesome. I've seen Justin kind of be attracted to that. So in that example, I think Justin, if you saw somebody, your person notices someone and they are fit, whatever else, when you start talking to them, if they're like, oh yeah, I have no spiritual practice. I work nine to five. I drink on the weekends, but you know, have the vodka soda. Cause I worry about fitness or whatever. I think Justin would be right. like, you know, Hey, nice to meet you, but I don't, I don't know if this is going to work out. Right. right. So I think part of that is the nature and then working on that, right? Like Justin was saying, I don't think many men are, are aware of it. I would also mm -hmm. add just being realistic in the 21st century. I'm shocked when women mm. are like, I want a man to take care of me and pay. Like my wife and I yeah. watch a lot of trash TV. And so we've been watching <laughs> Love is Blind. <laughs> oh and my there's God. A, a woman on there <laughs> who's like, I expect the dude to pick up every freaking tab. And mm. I'm just like, I, that's a, such a, I feel like that's very limiting in the 21st mm. century reality financially yeah. that we live in. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I love a woman who's, who's really disciplined and has all those things. Cause it really does allow me to strive to be better. Um, it, it's, it's incredibly important for me, for a woman to have her, her practices and stuff like that. But knowing that at any time she can, she can lean on me, right? Like she is, she has the availability to lean on me, that she is safe around me. That's really what I would like to like convey more than anything. It's about creating a safe, safe space for a woman to be her most expressive self, to reach for the starter, so to speak, and, and, and be all these things without judgment or evaluation. And I feel like that's, that's the ultimate role that I, I really would like to play and support that in, in all those ways. Um, and again, like, you know, if, if my, if my woman is successful in, in all these different avenues, it really does motivate me to always step up my game and be yeah. a good partner. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's like they say, like you are like the people you hang around with. So you definitely yeah. want a woman who's driven, who's disciplined, um, a team player, all those types of things. And yeah, it's like, they always, it's funny. It's like, I'm, I'm always trying to see what type of woman I am really drawn to and yeah i i i think sometimes if if we're not really uh, operating from our strongest self and we have a partner who also doesn't do that on a daily basis it's easy to get pulled into poor behaviors yeah. um yeah to like get out of bed and stay disciplined and stay focused so for me having having a strong woman it's like hey let's go let's get this it's it's very powerful for me yeah, I would say that's probably one of my top values is just the ability to grow with somebody and have somebody that equally cares about their own self-growth. Um, and I think a huge element of that is ego. It's like you were saying, you just want the best for whoever you're with. And there's so many people that anyone else's success, especially their partners, is going to make them feel inferior mm. instead of empower them or motivate them or excite them. So. I think there's a huge element there that a lot of people have yet to unlock that I think can be really good for the foundation of a healthy relationship. I think that'd be great for our listeners when they catch themselves in that. If they do have a mm -hmm. partner and that partner's like, oh my God, I got this promotion or, oh my God, I'm doing mm -hmm. X, Y, Z. If they immediately find themselves thinking, oh, what's this person doing? They're going to leave me. Uh, I feel threatened by this, right. taking a moment and recognizing, oh, is that my ego kind of coming right. out? Do I feel threatened? Why is that? Doing that self-exploration, I think is important. That actually yeah. reminded me, that was why one of my past relationships ended. 
I was part of a a business mentorship program and there was one of the women that were, she was a leader in the call or a leader of the group. And she was extremely, extremely financially successful. And she was, she did a whole presentation on celebrating your success and celebrating your wins. And she was making ridiculous amounts of money, but she would say that she celebrated every single win on a daily basis. Like she would sell a $50 program. And she said that she would scream down the hallway to her husband and kids that she would sell a $50 program. And they would, they would, you, she would hear them cheering back across the hall, cheering her on for that $50 sale, even though in the grand scheme of things, that was like nothing to her. And in that moment, she was telling the story. I realized I can't even talk about money with my person. Mm -hmm. I can't even, I can't, I can't even share that I had a milestone this month because I know it's not going to be received with um, support. Yeah. And then you so, end up playing small too. It's, it's amazing yeah. when we start micromanaging ourselves out of fear of hitting people's um, ego or trigger or wounds. Triggers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we start kind of like uh, tiptoeing around things. Um, which is never really good playing small, so to speak. And eventually we'll create a, 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 quite a bit of resentment um, yeah. yeah, towards that individual over time. Yeah. I also heard a relationship hack on a reel recently that really resonated with me, which was we don't want to, we want to continue to play games with our partner. We don't want the game to end because they said, if, if we're looking at a long-term partnership, if that's marriage or whatever else, we want this to last decades in a perfect world. And so there is no winner or loser. We just want to mm -hmm. continue the game and we want to be able mm -hmm. to support each other through the game. And I just love the mm -hmm. way that was put because what we're talking about is one partner's feeling like, oh, if, if Gina's doing amazing, I'm losing because she's right. winning. We're playing this zero sum game versus, oh my God, Gina's winning. That means we are all winning. Like I love the person you mentioned, she's running down the halls and the kids are coming out and the husband's coming out. Yeah. And, then, and then you feel that energy and now the kids see what they're, what, you know, it's possible for them. The partner sees what's possible for him. So I really like that you shared that story because I think that's powerful to create that teamwork within a relationship. Yeah. It just reminds me of, it's not me versus you. It's us versus the world kind of concept. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's cliche, but it's cliche for a reason. You know, well, all cliches I, are cliche for a reason. Yes. There's some truth in them, right? I always use, oh, yeah. and please forgive me, uh, sports analogies, <laughs> but there are so that's many okay. instances uh, I'm a huge basketball fan. I know Justin has a basketball background and there are instances mm. when, when two or multiple stars team up, it never works when everybody's trying to be the guy. And mm. it's famous with LeBron. When he went to Miami, he and D Wade continued to be the guy and it didn't work. And after that first year, where it didn't work. D Wade was like, Hey, you are the guy I will support you. You go do your thing. You continue to be the, you know, alpha or whatever you want to call it. And hey, you know, I'll do everything else. When you have an off night, I got you. I know I can do that. And all of a sudden they win to back-to-back championships. And I think that wow. kind of needs to happen in relationships too. When you have two partners going for it, there's going to be those moments where one partner's like moving a little bit ahead, quote unquote, however we want to define it. And it's like, awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, it's in the, I think in the, mm -hmm. the stereotypical cliche role in America of two partners and one who's earning more, the other person's like, yo, I'm taking out the trash. I got the dishes, I right. got the kids, right? Yeah. And then yeah. if that adjusts, the other person gets an insane promotion and now they're making more money and maybe their time's limited. The other person's like, okay, cool. Now I'm going to do those things or we're yeah. going to split it up. 
Yeah, yeah. Teamwork is definitely a powerful space to act from. And I remember even when I was with Steph, we would we would always have wonderful teamwork, like to the point where we were almost like just moving in sync with one another. You know, she would randomly grab the laundry and throw it in the washer. And as I was like on my way out to the scooter to head to the gym, I would just peek in. And once it was done, I would throw it in the dryer. And then before I know, we're like, you know, hanging out, folding clothes together. You know, while one of us runs over and checks on the food and the other one's chopping or what the other one's doing the dishes while someone's putting it away. And it was such a, a wonderful flow of, of team, team player. That's yeah, awesome. it was. Yeah. And um, nothing better than that. It's actually one of the things that I, I truly miss. It's funny when you get out of a, a long relationship and it's like, fuck, I got to do all of this. This is wild. <laughs> I have to walk the dogs every yes. day. I have to do yes. all the laundry. I have to fold yes. all the clothes. This is. I have to make all the money. So, um, yeah, like I love having a teammate that's, uh, that's, that's a team player for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And it's good to have that contrast. You mentioned that at the beginning of the podcast. One of you guys said about, oh, you were swimming the, the wrong way. But I think without, you know, without the darkness, there cannot be light. So there's, there's so much beauty and contrast. And also, if you are in a relationship, just, those moments where they're not there, whether they're sick or they're out of town or they can't do those tasks. I think it's a really important time to be appreciative of having that teamwork or having that help. Mm -hmm. My wife and I always message each other, even if I'm like, I was at ACL with Justin, just like frolicking last week here mm -hmm. in Austin. And I get yeah. home, my wife's like, I didn't realize how much you do. Like, thank yes. you, you know, yes. and we do that. So like, Justin's right. If my wife's gone for a little bit, I'm like, damn, like doing everything. That's a lot. And like, thank you for yeah. being a great teammate and mm. being able to do that in a relationship, whether you're dating or you're in a long-term relationship, mm -hmm. having that ability to like hype your partner up and say, Hey, thank you. Like, I recognize everything that you're doing. I see the hard work, all that stuff. Cause we would do yeah. that in, in, um, again, like sports analogies, I feel work great with men. And I do that with a lot of my clients and it's yeah. like, yeah, you know, that that teammate who, you know, can go score, you know, is always going to have your back or there's mm. a big moment and you trust them. Like that's your partner. And I think sometimes mm. with time and the little idiosyncrasies of living together, we can lose sight of that. But when we bring mm. it back to, this is the most exceptional human I freaking met and vice yeah. versa. Now it's like, okay, yeah. cool. Let's build on top of that. Mm. That's beautiful. It's nice when there's minimal ego, I feel within relationships and there's not like these, tiny little triggers that are always getting hit because of somebody's bullshit. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely wild that, um, yeah, that, that we kind of people fall into letting their egos consume such wonderful opportunities, um, and, and moments that could be really profound within people and, and supporting one another. It's very foreign to me, yeah, even though a lot of people do it, it's very, very foreign to me to not mm. be this supporting role in whatever my partner is doing. So, it is fascinating yeah. now that, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I actually was on the opposite end of the spectrum or the opposite. I was in that, in that role where I was not supportive, where I was in my ego. Mm. And that was before I started really doing the work and getting more into personal development and spirituality. But <clears throat> excuse me, I was very threatened by my partner's success and it, it wasn't that I didn't want him to succeed necessarily. I felt like he wasn't sharing that success with me. And I felt like I was being left behind. And so he was, you know, climbing up this mountain and seeing all the success and the happiness, the freedom, the 
the money. And I felt like I was over here living in a different world, struggling just to make it by. And that disconnect, it it even furthered my ego or, or furthered me to live through my ego in that relationship where I was triggered by so much and I mm. I was threatened by so much and I was not supportive. And I remember making little comments and little jokes, like being pissed off that life was easy for him because mm-hmm. I I didn't have the mental capacity or the emotional capacity to be supportive. I just wasn't in a conscious space at that time in my life. And that was one of the biggest issues of, of that relationship. He essentially self-sabotaged, correct? In, in, a, a, in, a, in a way, sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think you know a lot of listeners are probably resonating with one side or the other. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times we do start out in that ego state. So I did know that come, I can relate to them. Did that come from, now obviously you did some wonderful work. Did that come from a place, like obviously you were falling into the comparison. Uh, was that coming from a place of unworthiness, of I'm not enough? Like what was what was kind of driving that if you want to get into that and then what was uh, what was your um healing process because it's i think this is kind of cool to kind of show that you know at one point you're operating from your ego um comparing yourself essentially to this other mm-hmm. person where was that coming from uh and what what allowed you to realize you were act- acting from the ego what allowed you to essentially heal whatever wound that was to, to fall into this next space of a more conscious, more supporting, more loving person. So there, there was so much truth to my struggle, but I was very much in a victim mentality. Um, you know, I think everyone has dealt cards. Some people are dealt cards a little bit more fortunate than others. And there were, certain aspects of my childhood and growing up that were really amazing and that I was really uh, blessed with. And then there were things that I had to struggle through and I really identified with that struggle. So I lived my later teenage years and early twenties in that victim mentality. And I think that was one of the true drivers of the ego or or maybe one of the ways the ego manifested itself the most in my life. And what changed that the most was reading The Power of Now. So that was the very first book or really any resource that I got into that taught me what it was to be aware of my thoughts and what the ego was and what consciousness was. And it was like a mind fuck, like that whole, that whole entire book was. Um, and after reading that, then I just got more into it over time. And that's something I would, div- I would say most of my personal growth has come from and my healing has come from is, is books mm. um, and, and resources like that. Mm. Um. How long ago did you read that book? I think I was maybe 24, 25. Okay. So not that not that long ago. Not too long ago, yeah. I really appreciate I the focus on books and reading. There was a stat yeah. that I share with a lot of people and I think it would be powerful for our listeners, especially Gina, you saying that you've read eight books very shortly into the month. 
there's a difference between how many books per year the people we look up to. So the CEOs, Titans of Industry, the you know people who are like, oh, we know what they're doing. They read on average X number of books. And then on average, mm. the, the average American reads on average this number of books. Do you have any idea what I think it's zero? Are? I think it's the average person rates like zero. Okay, average person. I was after, in that category like, two years like ago. After college. <laughs> I think it's after high school or after college or a certain age. Like most people don't read another book. Right, but yeah. I could be wrong. So I have the, not, the <laughs> I have average not looked for, at that anytime recently. So the, the, my point is the average, and I'll get to my point, the average for yeah. the super successful people is 35 books a year. And the average oh, American wow. reads 1.5. 1.5. Okay. That's better yeah. than zero. I mean, I think there are people bringing the average up for sure, but <laughs> yeah. I'm just pointing it out for our listeners that, and Justin can attest to this as well over the last mm-hmm. few years, if we want to close the gap between where we are and where other people are, or take competition out of it, where we are and where we want to be in the future, there mm-hmm. seems to be something about reading. And so it's interesting mm-hmm. that you're like, you know, and when Justin and I connected to have you on the show, he was saying, you know, holistically, she's successful. And I feel as though our mm-hmm. listeners would be able to tease a lot out of our episode and a huge yeah. one that aligns with what other amazing, success, amazingly successful people do is reading and how many mm. books you read per year. And then this book that impacted your life so dramatically that you, de- you it's like a demarcation in your life. Like the before yeah. this book and after this book, this is how yeah. I've changed. And so I, I really just wanted to pull that out for our listeners, the power of reading. Yeah, yeah. It, that one book changed the entire tra- trajectory of my life, of the way that I operated in business my mental health, my, I, I identified very strongly with anxiety and depression. I was suicidal for a while. And like those things just no longer became part of my identity once I read that book. And think another one of those cliches, knowledge is power. And sometimes somebody will tell you something and you might understand it. You might mentally understand the concept or even agree but there's a difference between understanding something and embodying it or knowing it. Mm. And an easy example is whether it's your girlfriend, your wife, maybe even a parent can tell you something a million times and you're just like, yeah, whatever. And then somebody else tells you and you're like, oh shit. And it just hits different. And sometimes it's just the role that they're in. We find ourselves not really valuing what they have to say to us sometimes maybe just in specific topics, but then sometimes it's just simply the way that something is, is elaborated. Somebody says something a little, explains the same concept to you a little bit differently. And it just hits different where you feel it, you embody it. And it's something that you can actually utilize to change your, your thoughts, behaviors, actions. And so like I, like I mentioned the intimate communion book. I've read like five more books on polarity now. That's actually five of the eight books that I've read this month. So that's also, it's in the forefront of my mind now. That's why it keeps coming up on this podcast. But um, also the more you learn something, the more you can teach it. And so if there's something that you're really interested in, um, you know, the more podcasts you listen to, the more YouTube videos, the more books that you read, the more you're going to be able to see so many different uh, perspectives of that same topic and be able to teach it. Yeah. It's a, I think it's really cool that you touched on like, you know, maybe listening to a, a few different um, teachers or gurus on some of this topic. Cause, cause a lot of times it, 
depending on where we are in our journey, um, mm-hmm. some of it might go over our heads where other, mm-hmm. when they speak on it, it really resonates. And I remember when I first was getting into this work and essentially this conscious work, anytime Alan Watts spoke, it went mm. right over my head. One, he, yeah. he spoke in such a way, oh, very yeah. poetically. Mm-hmm. And I remember like, I don't, I don't even like this guy. I don't understand that. He, mm-hmm. I didn't like, I didn't like I anything felt about that. him. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Felt that. Oh, and yeah. then I heard Ram Dass speak and I was like, oh, he's like butter. I'm like, I understand mm-hmm. everything that he's saying. He pulled me in mm-hmm. and it's funny. It's like, I, and I love the way Eckhart Tolle speaks too. Like his, it's mm-hmm. such a wonderful way that he speaks. Um, and Adashante as well. Like he's another just buttery person to like just consume. But um, yeah, that's one of the things I personally focused on um, within my work uh, is how can I be palatable? for all listeners. Cause at one point I remember I, I was not palatable for a lot of people, the way I spoke. Um, I also possibly even spoke in absolutes at one point, which would turn people off, I think in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I would even go back and listen to myself on podcasts and I was like, that doesn't sound mm. great. And I would like, how yeah. can I, how can I be more palatable? How can I be more receptive for people at all levels? And so I focused on someone like Ram Das, who really was like a container for, every aspect of person who is whatever part of the journey they were in. And uh, yeah. And that's something I really focused on this last, I would say two years is like, how can I be so welcoming for all people in whatever space that they're in, uh, whatever timeline that they're in. And, um, I'm glad that you mentioned that because there's a lot of, even Eckhart Tolle talks about like, Hey, if you listen to this book and you don't get it, like, it's okay. Like keep doing Mm -hmm. the work and then try again in a few months. And there might be a different space of consciousness that you've, like kind of come into and you might really oh, yeah. actually understand it now and i i don't know which one he mentioned it was either the power of now or um the other earth. popular one yeah yeah the new earth and he brings that up and i'm like how brilliant is that and i think there's a lot of that too it's like a, if you are a listener and you're and you're not grasping maybe something from eckhart tolle or from alan watts give yourself some grace as you kind of become a little bit more aware a little bit more conscious to mm-hmm. almost decode what is being said and there isn't even another level there's like the Bible or the hermetic principles. Um, it's wild how coded it almost seems. And if you're not conscious enough, Mm. uh, you can't grasp it. It's absolutely, I remember when I, or the the book of Enoch, like I I can't even still can't get into that book. It's too coded for, it's too intelligent for me still. It's like, Oh my goodness. So yeah, finding which, which channel is kind of important. So if you do come across a person that you're not really resonated with, don't become lost in that in that space of like, oh, this is stupid or oh, I can't enjoy it. Maybe find another channel, like someone like Eckhart or Ram Dass, uh, that just you can. To, just to, to add to that quickly, because I find it fascinating. The, so LOL, Alan Watts. I, mm-hmm. I love audiobooks, mm-hmm. And if you're on Audible at the time, it was like, you know, $9.99 a month, you get a new book. And mm-hmm. I was so into Alan Watts, I found this compendium that was $90, but I was getting it for that 10 bucks for the credit. Mm-hmm. I was like, fuck yeah. yeah. I'm buying that and then would listen to it in my car. And I think I listened to like the whole, you know, 40 hours or whatever it is because it's his lectures. And it's funny because Justin and I have talked about this. I really lean towards academically inclined uh, channels to use Mm -hmm. Justin's term. And I know Justin doesn't really do that. And so that's why Alan Watts was kind of like a turnoff because he's like, this guy's too academic where for Mm -hmm. me, I'm like, oh, I love that. Like I just eat it up. And Ram Das yeah. used to be a teacher at Harvard, but then went through this awakening and became Ram Das. And so he's able to bridge that gap. And Justin and I have talked about Adyashanti. Mm. He has written this amazing book called Resurrecting Jesus. And it seems like he's using Jesus. And he says it in the book 
that so many people in America specifically know the story of Jesus. Like, even if you aren't Christian, you, you kind of know it just because it's so everyone knows it. Right. Yeah. And so he's like, cool. How can I use that to teach the greater spiritual principles? Because I'm bringing yes. people in on this. And I think that's also fitness, right? Like I'm sure you have clients, mm -hmm. you know, who you bring in on a fitness journey and then, you know, six months in, you're talking about something completely different, or you're like, yeah. I never thought I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd send you this, like, you should read this book on, you know, yeah. masculine feminine polarities, but it's that gateway drug. And I yeah. agree with Justin that if for our listeners, if you find someone like Alan Watts and you're like, eh, I'm really not digging it, maybe realizing, oh, the academic approach is not working for me. Or if you find Ram Das or you find Adyashanti and you're like, oh, it's not really working for me. Let me go to Alan Watts. There's somebody else here. I think it's really yeah. important for people to pick up. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I really like to Dr. Joe Dispenza because yeah. I feel like he does an amazing job at bridging the gap between science and spirituality. And that was, that was another book I forgot to mention when we were listing off some of them, but Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. There's also You're the Placebo, but I think Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself is probably the first book I would recommend by him from the ones that I've read. And if that's something that I'm very conscious of with my clients because I do I do some one-on-one -on -one calls, but I do a lot of group calls. And I have to be conscious of the fact that everyone is in different spaces. Some people are very conscious and they're also very spiritual. There are some people that are more science-based. And when we talk about certain things, it's like woo-woo shit, you know? And so I'll joke about that. I'm like, hey guys, here's some woo-woo shit for you. And then I'll, I'll kind of like pre-phase it. I'll get them to laugh and then I'll go into it. And I think... Um, I think the art of communication is extremely important to be able to really convey a, a message to a, a big group of people or a diverse group of people. But there are certain people that do really, really, really good job at it. Um, so I think I think Joe Dispenza is someone that I admire for that. Yeah, he does do a really good job of that. I would like to actually like, you know, we we definitely introduced you as a lifestyle coach and a mindset coach, but I would like to hear like your your personal like what is it that you do with these women um how does it all work because i would really like our listeners to know like if they are interested in working with someone that's not only in fitness and nutrition but also a mindset coach mm -hmm. kind of maybe uh, give us a little description on what is it you do and what happens maybe during these phone calls yeah so i have currently i have three different containers for my coaching so i have a group coaching container where we everything is through a Facebook group. We do a weekly Zoom call. And then I have my one-on-one -on -one clients. And then I also have my mentorship clients. With my mentorship clients, I typically do hour-long calls with them weekly. So there's certain things that I can dive into a little bit deeper, or we can go down a certain avenue, let's say with my mentorship clients, where we can be on the same topic for multiple calls. So it could be that they are self-sabotaging in a specific area of their life. And we can spend call after call addressing this specific thing, diving into what the problems are, problem solving through it, et cetera. Whereas something with like my group coaching, sometimes a certain client will come to a call this week and then next week they can't. And then the following week, they'll be on the call and then the following week. So it's not where I'm going to be doing a, a chapter of the same topic every single call. So that one is a little bit more broadened with the topics that I talk about, but it's anything ranging from time management, stress management. We actually talk about ego and consciousness and mm. just being less reactive and 
uh, typically when a, a client or anyone is struggling with training and nutrition, it's never about the training and nutrition. Correct. It's 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 very rarely about the protocol itself. Most of the time, it's that there's stressors in their life that they cannot manage or that there's mm-hmm. they're struggling managing. Yeah. And uh, I mean, part of the protocol is you know you don't want to have something so stressful that it adds additional levels of stress to your life. But uh, a lot of people are just self sabotaging, and mm-hmm. so really figuring out some of the root issues is one of my main goals. And, you know, we do that in many different ways, just depending on the container. Epic. Thank you for sharing. I'm going to follow up because it's one of the questions that I was holding secret before Mm. our podcast. And this aligns with the question that Justin asked. So since you've been working with so many various people, Gina, what's maybe something that comes to mind that's consistent amongst all of them or many of them or the majority of them that, you see them on a Zoom and you talk for 10, 15 minutes and you're like, boom, I know that. And mm-hmm. I have something that they can tweak. You're mm-hmm. nodding your head. So I think you, I'd love for you to share. Yeah. So one of the things that I notice quickly with a lot of people is the identities that we create for ourselves and the different things that we identify with. And whenever somebody is telling me what, they're struggling with a lot of times it's followed up with, Oh, I'm an all or nothing kind of person, or oh, I'm just not the kind of person that does this, or I'm this kind of guy, or I'm this kind of girl. And I immediately see there's so many different behaviors or habits that people have adopted into who they are. And when you adopt something into who you are, who you are, your identity, that's going to affect your thoughts, emotions, behaviors on a subconscious level. Mm. And I think that is one of the roots of, of self-sabotage is, is the identity that we have for ourselves or the different identities we have for ourselves. Yes. Huge. Mm. That's the big one. You're nailing it. We were actually yeah. we were talking about this on Friday. I was telling were Justin you? something. Yeah. I mean, we were at ACL just hanging out and mm. I was just sharing something that I was going through and he was like, yeah, it's the story you're telling yourself, isn't it? Yep. And I was yeah. like, oh yeah, you're right. Oh, and yeah. since then I've just like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm changing the story. So yeah. now when I notice that anxiety come up, I'm like, oh, well, let me tell myself a different story. And then I feel, I feel great. Right. So I, yeah. I love that you touched on that. Yeah. yeah and cool. there's uh there's something that you can, you can do it with your friends or you can do it with your partner. If you're both conscious and you both understand the concept is anytime that you catch your friend or your partner with a limiting belief you ask them, when did you decide that? Mm. When did you when did you decide that story is true? And then they're like, fuck, you know. Yeah. Um, if they're in the that. same in the same place as you, or like they want to grow and they want to be, you know, their partner to challenge them. Um, but yeah, like another, uh, I think like a good example for a lot of people can relate to is if you're setting the goal to wake up early, but you're not a morning person. You set the goal to wake up early, but you're a night owl. Well, at a subconscious level, like we have this need to be consistent with how we define ourselves. And so you can be super disciplined. You you can achieve this goal even without necessarily surrendering that identity, but it's going to require so much more disciplined versus if you're, if you take that identity, you can identify it be like, okay, I want to wake up earlier. I want to stop snoozing the alarm. I used to say that I'm not a morning person, but I'm becoming one. 
Mm. You don't have to completely switch it around, but you can at least start speaking past tense until it becomes more and more of your truth to the point of where you're like, okay, I can shift. I'm a morning person now. Mm. That's great. Yeah. That's good. I love it. Um, I would like to transition into kind of like what we briefly talked about in the beginning of the podcast was, so what was a big impact for you was reading Eckhart Tolle. Mm. And then obviously me and you got to work together in a different setting with breath work and plant medicine. Was that mm. your first experience with plant medicine or have you done it before? Um, and I would kind of like to get into, cause I know that you had a really wonderful experience and you shared yeah. quite a bit on your story. Um, and I would love to get into um, that if you would like to. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. kind of like what was after the book, what was the next like curiosity, I guess, for you to like, oh, I want to explore more of this. And then we can kind mm-hmm. of go down that path and to where you came and did um, a wonderful ceremony at the house. Yeah, I would say it was so long ago that I, I honestly can't remember what came after that, what, what came after that book. But I, my, one of my previous partners and I would do mushrooms and I would, I wouldn't really take them to, cause some people take them more recreationally for like a music festival or a show or to go have fun somewhere. And I would take them in the setting of my home just to have conscious conversations or connect more, explore something on a deeper level. But I had a lot of negative experiences at first, I think because there was so much healing that I needed to do and so much ego still that I was operating through. And over time, I think even through those bad experiences, there would be one moment or one lesson that was so impactful in my life that I didn't want to, so so to speak, give up. It's like, oh, there's, there's something there. Sorry, guys. Um, there's something there. And so I wanted to explore that a little bit more. And I would give myself months at a time to heal. And then I would try it again. And I'd be like, maybe now I'm ready. Maybe I'm now I'm ready for like a truly good experience, just a whole experience without the pain um, or the suffering that I felt from the previous times. And it took years for me to get to the place where I wanted to go to the next level and actually do a guided ceremony. And we ended up doing the first day was breath work. The second day we did four grams of mushrooms. mushrooms. Yeah. yeah. And then the third day was DMT, which was wow. Mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. That was good. You did amazing yeah. too. Like, um, cause what we did was, we did breath work each time too. We just didn't get right into the plant medicine. We did a mm-hmm. full hour session of breath, really moved and alchemized the body in powerful ways yeah. before bringing in the medicine to allow what needs to come through so that we can mm. um, really receive it, I think, without a lot of distortions, um, yeah. which I think is really important, right? As far as alchemizing the body, releasing a lot of stored stuck emotions that could really distort um, and not allow us to fully receive I think that was a a really big part of it. Would you like to share what came up for you or what possibly you learned from this experience? Yeah. So just to touch on what you said about the breath work, I, I found that incredibly helpful because when I went into the experience, I was excited. I was very excited 
but it was still, it's a very similar energy to anxiety, right? You have the tight chest, you're st- you feel something in your stomach, lump in your throat, a little bit jittery. I felt like I had drank a bunch of coffee and I hadn't. And mm-hmm. I, like, if I could label that energy, it was excitement, but I think energy is energy and it can easily be manipulated, transferred, distorted, et cetera. And so being able to release a lot of that energy through breath work, I think was a really good setup for the experience. Um, I went into the weekend with specific intentions and one of the main intentions that I had was to forgive myself and just really have embody that forgiveness. Cause I mentioned it earlier on the podcast, you can tell yourself, Oh, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. You didn't know better. You were just trying your best. But if you don't feel to your core, that forgiveness, it's still going to affect you in so many different ways. Um, and I went into the mushroom ceremony with that intention. And that's actually not what I received from that experience. I more so had epiphanies in other areas of my life, uh, especially dating and my romantic relationships. And I felt a lot of love for myself and I had a lot of exciting realizations, but then the following day was the DMT experience and I didn't really go into it knowing exactly what I wanted. I just knew I wanted healing and I was open to receive whatever was to come to me, even if that was painful, but I actually just received that forgiveness Mm. and that it was just love and forgiveness that I received from the DMT experience. And when I explain it to people, I'm like, I literally feel like I did 15 years of therapy in 15 minutes. It was, it was so incredibly empowering and impactful. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. That's so beautiful. I want to add a a quick note. Uh, Mm -hmm. Excited and nervous is the same physiological response in the body. So I really liked how, Gina, you were saying I felt excited, but I could also define that as anxiety and nervousness. And it's remembering that we as humans put labels on things, whether it's good Mm -hmm. or bad or hot or cold or excited or nervous. And Mm -hmm. to your point earlier about shifting our identity or our story, people who go into a plant medicine experience or anything else, right? They're getting on stage to speak publicly or they're going into the gym for the first time. They're going to have those feels and it's important to recognize it and then choose, well, do I want to be nervous or do I want to be excited? Cause it's the same. And so I like how yeah. you're like, well, I'm going to lean into excited. Yeah. And I think you, it was like your last sentence or one of your last sentences, like you get to choose. That is it's something that just that phrase has really, really resonated with me in the more recent parts of my life because there's so many parts of, of who we are, things that we're experiencing that we are waiting to find out or people are waiting to find themselves. And I'm like, no, you get to pick. You get to choose who you want to be. You get to choose how you want to perceive things, how you want to feel, how you want to act. Um, and I think it's that power of, choice, that deliberate intention that can really alchemize your life in a positive way. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. Yeah. Um, what would like for you personally, when you do become 
uh, triggered, overwhelmed, stressed. Mm -hmm. What is your go-to practice? I think it depends on the trigger mm -hmm. and the stressor, but I would say now I, I very much so turned to, I like to journal first. If there's something that I feel like there's a lot on my mind, I think that's, there's two ways that you can easily get out of your mind. One is to get into your body and that's, you could do that through meditation, through breath work, through exercise, but then also just getting it out on paper, mm -hmm. just simply expressing it, I find really quiets my mind. And so if it's something that I feel like needs to be worked through or something where I find that my mind is going crazy, I'll either journal or I'll just, I'll take my iPad or my phone and I'll just record a video because I can talk faster than I can write. And I also have carpal tunnel, so that makes it a little bit challenging sometimes. Um, but I'll do that first sometimes. And almost always I'll find myself uh, going to meditation as well, just to quiet the mind, but also release some of that energy through breath work. So I just do a lot of breathing just to release the tension in my body, release the lump in my throat, the, the you know, tightness in my chest, et cetera. Um, but now I would say I'm, maybe this is even an ego statement, but I feel like I've unidentified with the ego so much that it's very fewer moments in my life that I'm triggered. And when I am, I'm aware of it. I'm like, why am I triggered right now? Um, which is really cool. It's a really cool I, I would part say of that's the a journey conscious to be statement. in. I would say that's a conscious statement, actually. Okay. Okay. I'll take yeah, that. I, I think that's brilliant. That when we no, yeah. When we no longer <laughs> identify as the mind, right? That's, yeah. that's what you were touching on before, right? Yeah. The stories, yeah. the labels, our experiences, our thoughts. Um, I think that's the biggest step that we all can really take is no longer identifying with our, our thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that really allows us to step outside of the mind movies that can pull us in uh, yeah. and create the anxiety or the, the nightmare for so many people that we get pulled into. So understanding that you are not your mind um, or, or the mind's manifestation ego is such a powerful place um to actually operate from it's it's like essentially like, like you know like what jesus would say is like be in the world but not of it remembering that you know, like yeah you are in this experience with this beautiful human but you are also the divine being outside of this mind outside of this mm -hmm. ego and yeah. um quite beautiful i love yeah. the tool of the voice note for yourself because i think yeah. what people miss about journaling is they're like oh well dear diary and like let me rig this out yes. i don't you know the normal average Americans, like, I don't have time to do that. Like I don't have time to journal. Mm -hmm. So with my clients, I've said, whip out your phone. Like I use my notes app and it's just a stream of consciousness typing. Yep. Right. And yep. that's easy to do. And then, like you said, we can talk faster than we can type. And that's another step. And I actually got that from a client where we were working through something. I was waiting on a message from her. And when we met, I was like, yeah, I was expecting you to message me. She's like, yeah, I, I like talked out this like 10 minute thing. And she was like, mm. instead of hitting send, I listened to it. And then she oh, was like, yeah. oh, I got like, oh, this is where I'm stuck. Like, this is where yeah. I need to help myself. And yeah. then she was like, I, I figured I would just like spare you the 10 minute listen and we would just meet. And so I love yeah. that as a takeaway for our listeners and anybody else yeah. is like, especially if you're mad, like if you, I have clients who are like, what do I do if oh, I'm yeah. mad at this person at work or my partner or a client or whatever? It's like, okay, go in the bathroom and just fucking like, let them have it in the voice memo yeah. and get it all out yeah. and then yeah. don't send it just like send it to yourself or something. So mm -hmm. I love that tool.
Mm. Yeah, write that email that you wish you could send your boss or your coworker, but then do not send it. <laughs> Don't accidentally send it. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's the only part about voice memos and videos is I'm like, if anyone were to find this, Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. So I actually, most of them I do on my iPad because it's like not connected to my iCloud. I'm like just storing them on that iPad. Um, Cause there is, there's an element to like, when you're truly just saying what's on your mind there's, there's some fear, you know, there's, and that that's the thing with, I think that can be so amazing about journaling or even the voice notes, the videos is therapy is fucking amazing for so many people and f- for so many reasons, but there's always going to be that element where you can't truly just express what you feel and what you think, because there's that element of judgment or yes. the fear of judgment um, or just trying to communicate in a way that they're going to receive it versus just communicating it how you truly feel. Yeah, I like that. I, I actually could definitely give that advice to a lot of my clients. I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. But they, yeah, that's really brilliant. I like that. Hmm. Awesome. Um, before we um, kind of come to a closure, I would love to know what are your core values? My core values, I would say number one is honesty and that's radical honesty with myself and with others. And when I find that I'm not in alignment with that value uh, with myself, it causes a lot of uh, confidence issues. And then when, if, when it's with another person, I just do not feel like it's aligning. Um, so that would be the number one, um, I would say integrity. And trust is probably what's next because those go hand in hand. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I imagine that's what you also would look for in a partner. Yeah, Some absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Sean, did you have any other questions that you would like to ask Gina? So this is one that's kind of going way back, but I think it would be important to touch on. You had a post, Gina, when I was checking out your Instagram about the lonely parts of success Mm. or the journey. And we were talking about mainly dating and the parts about it's not working or, you know, basically suggesting that, you know, for lack of a better term, like you're alone at the moment. And your post talked about that being an important aspect of the journey. Justin and I talk about it as archetypes. You have the Jesus in the desert for 40 days, 40 nights. You had Mm. Buddha going out on his own and I think yeah. we so are so fearful of being alone versus looking at it as a, an essential step in the process, whatever that process yeah. is. So I'd love for you to touch on that. I think that'd be important for our listeners. Yeah, I, I think this part, it looks differently for everyone. I think for a lot of my clients, it's it, it's not even, I mean, it, it can be viewed as like the spiritual component, but it's even just changing your lifestyle habits where you're not going to the bars every weekend or you're not wanting to drink every weekend, whatever it is. And you feel like you're no longer connecting with your friends or all of the friends that you have are doing things that you don't want to do now. Or maybe it's even the conversations that you have where you're just not resonating because maybe you're not in the victim mentality anymore, but they are. And now you can see it's just so much negativity and complaining. And there's a huge part um, that disconnects. And sometimes if you don't have people that are in the place that you're going or on the same path as you you find yourself alone. Um, and I think a lot of people are 
fearful of that and they're uncomfortable and they need that constant distraction from other people or other things so that they're not alone with their thoughts. So I think one of the biggest things that I would say can be helpful is just coming to that awareness that, you know, when you're uncomfortable or you find yourself like immediately needing a distraction, there's something there that you actually might need to work through. Yeah. That, that, um, that shadow, so to speak, right. That mind, it is Mm -hmm. really kind of teaching us. And those are the trials and tribulations Mm -hmm. um, that, that also uh, Jesus talks about, which is really, Mm -hmm. really kind of cool. Like, you know, after the 40 days before he's met with, you know, like the Buddha calls it Maya, um, spiritual people call it the shadow. Um, yeah. regular people call it the ego and, and yeah. you know, Christians call it the devil. So it's, uh, it's about, can we sit with that discomfort? Can we sit with yeah. this, the shadow self and really work mm-hmm. through these trials and tribulations that are really stopping us from being our fullest potential. And a lot of people do not understand the importance of spiritual solitude. And that's yeah. really what we're, what we're facing in this space. This, this isolation, this, and it's not even loneliness. It's just a rite of passage. It really is something that we, we really should all take the time to really go through. And, and it takes time to go through. I mean, I definitely have been in this space of spiritual solitude for about two years now. I mean, when I made oh. the move to Texas, that's where I've been. And, and, um, and it gets really uncomfortable. And, and, uh, and then at the same time, like if you're not aware, your, your person could, could be really good about finding distractions, whether it be mindless scrolling or again, filling it with, with people, and so asking ourselves and having intentions of when we do things becomes very powerful in this this space of solitude the spiritual solitude is uh, learning how to really kind of sit in that discomfort and become curious of what that is curiosity yeah. i think could be a really powerful component when sitting in this space of discomfort when when working with your shadow and whatnot your mind essentially mm-hmm. um and then going through those those things so um yeah, thank you for sharing that because I think that's a big thing. A lot of people don't think that it's one, it's it's important. And that way you can kind of come out on the other side and, and you are your fullest, most aware self to be in a powerful, beautiful relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I'm really excited um, as I do my own personal work, what that will allow me to um, bring into my life now, whether it's friendships yeah. or romantic relationships. I think it's also to piggyback on that, recognizing that we're in that, you know, Justin made a choice to move to Texas. And so it may have been a little bit more obvious of like, oh, wow, I'm stepping into a a point of solitude or the spiritual solitude and like, okay, now what can I get out of that? It's something in my life when my wife and I got pregnant, moved into the suburbs, all of a sudden, like it got lonely and I get it. You know, I became acutely aware that we're like the only ones in our friend group who have kids and Mm. we're going to sleep super early and we're not out late anymore. And it frustrated me for a time. And then it was like, Oh, the light bulb went off of I'm, I'm back in a, a point of solitude. And okay, now that I recognize that, let me not be frustrated by it. What can, how can I use this? Because I recognize that it's been powerful. It's been powerful in other aspects of my life. And then this is kind of off on a tangent, but the deaths quote unquote, that we go through in life and being okay with leaving behind, whether it's the moving from the I'm partying all the time to now I'm working on myself or I'm dating all the time to I'm committing to one person, or I had my athletic peak and now I'm okay moving away from it. And recognizing that we're okay with those transitions and yeah. they're a part of the process, they're essential. And how can we get something out of it? Mm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Good stuff, guys. Uh, Gina, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm really glad we yeah. got you on. 
Um, I also want everybody to know what an amazing singer and guitar player you are. I love when you put those videos up, do more of them, share more of them. I absolutely love, yeah, I love, um, and yeah, I didn't know you had this beautiful voice and and talent with the guitar. I actually love when you post those things. So, oh, that's so nice. Yeah. I love that. And you have an adorable dog as well. Very funny dog. I like it. Yeah. She's great. Um, (laughs) Where can people find you? How can people contact you, work with you? Where's the best place to get, get a hold of you? My main platform is Instagram. So it's ginamarie.ifbbpro. Um, that, that would be probably the first place that you'll find me or the most prominent place you'll find me. I dabble a little bit into like TikTok and YouTube and whatnot. Um, but I would say go there first. Cool. You have a website or anything? Uh, so everything's in my bio. So, oh, yeah. perfect. Easy enough. Yeah. yeah. Easy enough. Yeah. One-stop shop. Awesome. Um, Before we jump off, did anybody have anything left to say or want to put out there? Everybody feel good? No, I just thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Justin, Justin, as always. And thank you to our listeners. We really appreciate y'all. Yeah. Thank you.